0: (laughs) well good morning you guys thanks for coming out um on a early saturday morning i'm really i thought there'd be like five or six people so you guys surprised me (laughs) so bob and i've been married almost 37 years and i feel like we're still next month yep and i feel like we're still just getting started so um anyway let me let me share what god put on my heart the um this week or well, it's actually been on my heart for a while, but um, when this opportunity came, it's like, okay, this is, it's time. So here we go. So I'm going to start with Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Then God spoke to Noah saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it in it later in Genesis no longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and as for Ishmael I've heard you. behold I have I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly Genesis 35, also God said to him, I am God God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. In Leviticus it says, For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me when yet there was not one. Proverbs seventeen six Children, Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children is their father. Somehow I missed in there, in the scriptures too, it talks about the children are a reward an inheritance from the Lord, um, a blessing. So I don't know, most of you maybe know, we have eight children, and so far 11 grandchildren. Um, When we got married, we went through marriage counseling, and uh, they asked us, how many kids you want to have? Bob said two or three, I said three or four. Um... You wanted to play me for the next one. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, I found out we were expecting on our first anniversary with our first child. Um, and then within 18 years, we had all eight of our kids. It um, wasn't our plan, it was God's plan. Um, but we're really, really thankful that God intervened um, and took over from our plan. Um, A little bit more. When we first met, we were in ministry, so we didn't have any money. And uh, with each child, our income didn't go up unless we raised more money because we had to raise support. Um, We lived in California. At the time, we lived in a two-bedroom house. Uh, We had the kids stacked in bunk beds and pull-out beds. Um, But we never... um, it was good. We never had any need. We, I mean, God always took care of our needs. Then we moved up here to, California, or to Idaho, and this is where I'm from. And uh, when we got here, we left the ministry, and we got here, and Bob had a uh, telecommunications job that was just starting out, and that company went under. And so for three years, uh, Bob was without a full-time job. And yet our kids never missed a meal because God supplies all of our needs according to his riches. And um, I think that um, my heart has always been for children. And I'm, I'm very much leaning on God's word when he says to be fruitful and multiply. God's word never changes. He never said, oh, that was for a long time ago. We're done with that. But the children are a blessing and a reward, and our society does not value children anymore. does not value having large families. Everything in our society is against that. Um, birth control game came, became popular in the 1960s, pushing it, pushing it. You know, who's, who's on the throne? Who's on the throne of your family? Is it God or is it you? Are you going to be destined to choose how many children you have, or are you going to let the Lord... Uh, Have his way in your life, and it is hard, but that's what God wants us to be refined. And life is not to be easy; it's it's about Him and doing what He wants. So, um, thankfully, God intervened in our family, and we only have eight. We had eleven pregnancies, three little little ones in heaven. But um, I tell you now, I'd go if I could go back. I'd take as many as He could give us. You know, we're so 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 grateful. when we did come to Idaho, when that time when we he was without work, we did miscarry during that time, and then we also had one of our boys born during that time, too. So, um, but God provided. It was fine. It was fine. Um, I did want to also bring out a note. Um, the greatest criticism that we have ever gotten from having so many children has been from within the church. And, um, that's been really hard. We were at a a family party, family and friends, big party. Um I was pregnant with my fifth child and someone came up to me and said, don't you have a TV? Can't you think, you know, anything else to do? Because I was very pregnant at the time. This was from the pastor's son who married us that criticized us. And I just, I'm just heartbroken that it comes from within the church. There are families in this church that are having um, lots of children. And so I want to encourage you to encourage them um, babysit for them. Have them over for dinner. Nobody ever had us over for dinner. <laughs> it's not that bad, you know, to, to do that. <laughs> but have them over for dinner. And other ways you can serve is, I know there's still five slots in Sunday school open. Give those parents a break and go go serve in Sunday school. So, um Anyway, I just wanted to share that um, that's my heart. That's what God's word says. Be fruitful and multiply. And um, love those children around around you and in this church.
1: Oh, my mic is, on. Right. It's on. is it on it's the on? mic? It is. Can you hear me? Okay, good. All right. I think you forgot to tell what we told the pastor son. Well, at least we had fun doing it. How much money have you had? <laughs> You're getting You <good. laughs> Put that on the website later, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's, what's interesting here is that... Um, Each of us is going to speak on something the Lord put on our hearts. And I don't think either of us knows. I have no idea what Mike and Sarah's going to say. Sarah's going to cap it off. I know she's going to clean it up for us. (laughs) I'm I'm coming from a little little different perspective. What Christy said about Psalm 139, about all those parts being, thank you, all those parts being formed and days being numbered when there's not even one. Um, something that I'd read, I'd been been a Christian since I was 15, but I was going to church and I was reading my Bible, but to actually have that interactive relationship where I was listening to the Lord every day was not quite there yet. And I didn't really grasp a lot of what he said. I could, I could read the Bible, I could pray, but was I really sitting in his feet and listening to him and acting upon it on a daily basis? And um, I, th- I think that most of you are probably here, even though there's... Um, just uh, three different couples here, because what does it take to have a long-lasting relationship in a marriage? But I think it goes beyond that. I think it really starts with your, with a horizontal excuse me, a vertical relationship with the Lord. Because if that's right, then everything else is going to fall into place. And that's going to be kind of my emphasis here as to what it took for for the Lord to get through to me to develop that vertical relationship, so that I could be the right husband and father that I should be. Um, And you'll see that for those of us that are here, Mike and Sarah, it's been 20-some-odd years for you, 21, 37, 66 years. You know, these days it's 2.1, 3.7, 6.0 if you can make it. So it's just just very, very different. But uh, I think the key is not just finding the right person, but are you the right person because the Lord has made you the right person who he wants you to be? So what does it take to get through the long haul? Um, for me, it really has to go back to looking to Jesus, the one who stuck by me when when I didn't really stick by him. He would, each morning I would uh, want, be challenged to read God's word, and sometimes I'd just kind of go past him. And I know he was waiting there for me every day to speak to me, and I was the one that missed on those opportunities. Um, I think that for for me... Seeing that he has stuck through me for the long haul has made it easier for me. If you've been loving and forgiving of me for so many years, can I not extend that same love and forgiveness to my wife and those around me? Because if I have not experienced that, I cannot pass that, on, uh, pass that on to others. So my focus today is going to be on what our Lord has done for me so that, he can, so that I can lead my family as he has led me. While, I, while on his journey with me, while his journey with me has been from the beginning, it wasn't until I was 19 that I realized that though I was living the Christian life, I was really living it for me, how would God do my bidding the way I would want? Then I came across the following, which challenged me to end uh, my thinking about life being about me. And many of you are familiar with John 10, 10, and also verse 11 afterwards. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life, and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, at that point, I knew enough about the Bible to know that God is true. He is always true. He's never a liar. So guess who the problem was? It was me. And so I basically said, Lord, if, it's, if I'm not experiencing abundant life, I'm just simply going to church and doing what most Christians would do kind of a thing, but I'm not experiencing your abundant spirit filled life, then it must be me. Do with me what you want. I give up. I don't care if I have to go to Africa or whatever it's going to be. You just do what you need to do in me so that I can be somebody that can be used by you and honor you and have the love that you have for me that I can pass on to others. And then um, I also add this here, the ordinary water cannot permanently satisfy. Like still stagnant well water, earthly pleasures only temporarily quench thirst. Emptiness always returns. In the Old Testament, God said, they have forsaken me. The spring of living water Ducks their cistern, their own cisterns, broken cisterns they gonna hold any water, and that was me up until 19, looking for uh, satisfaction and other things, and yes, I'm going to church, and yes, I'm uh, trying to read my Bible and pray, but it was just, it was broken cisterns, I was looking in the wrong place. And from, uh, this is John four twenty-eight paraphrased, which for any of you who are in our Zoom Bible study, you know, we just covered this, um, this uh, about the Samaritan woman, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. The Samaritan woman lived an empty life, and carried an empty jar, but then she encountered the Savior who gives life to the full. Like the disciples who first followed Jesus, she left behind what she had. She now has so much more. Jesus has found her precious in His sight and has graciously graciously given her His time, His love, and His life. And I knew, as I had mentioned at that time, when I read John 10:10, 10, 10, that I was not experiencing abundant life, and that I was that broken cistern. But I knew the Lord was always the Lord was always true. At that point, I chose to surrender, and I really. I think one of my, the key verses to this that I try to apply to my own life is Romans 12, 1 and 2 which you are very familiar with, many of you Therefore, brothers and sisters, if you have the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may discern what is good pleasing and perfect will of God How much do I give to God? Well, Romans 12, 1 says I give my body, I give it all and that applies to every area of life. That includes my family. That includes uh, how, I, how I give and get, realizing that everything I have is from the Lord. What do I get to keep? How do I, how do we, how do I use what is really His and entrusted to me? <sighs> At this point, it's the beginning of a radical change. And it fast forward 10 years, and then John 10, 11, which I just read to you, as, uh, became very clear. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. <laughs> I do this perfectly? What do you think? <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, the point is, is that if Jesus laid down his life for me and as the good shepherd, shouldn't I be doing that for my family, for my desires? Does that mean I don't get to do what I want to do? No. But when his desires, when I see what he's done for me, can I not pass that same love and forgiveness and that leadership on to those that are around me, starting with my family? And as Christy mentioned, when we we got married, we were with a ministry that's now called Crew, or Campus Crusade for Christ. In less than two years, we had our first daughter, Carissa. Uh, And this is where I became became especially dependent on verses like these. And this is from Luke chapter 12. Again, some of you are familiar with this. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about life, what you will eat, or about the body, or what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they do not uh, sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment of his life by worrying? If you are not able to even do a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin or, uh, or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the, gra- clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, O you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious, for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. And I think that was as a part of my transition to saying, God, it's not about me, but it's about you. That caused me to really want to seek his kingdom first. And for me, that's the first thing every day, so the day doesn't come at me. But I'm listening to the Lord, what do you have for me? And then what am I responsible to pass on to others? As the Lord blessed us with additional children, Luke 12 became very even more real to us. As time went by, I observed those around us who appeared to be much better off than us. Yet the Lord reminded me the following, and this is continuing on in Luke 12, verse 16. And he told them a parable. The rich man was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I, have, uh, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, store all, my grain and my goods, uh, store all my grains and goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And then on, on into chapter 14 of Luke, In the same way, therefore, everyone who does not renounce the possessions cannot be to my disciple. And I think the key here, especially with this, uh, this rich man who is trying to store up things for himself, is did he have the possessions or did the possessions have him? That's a huge difference. Is it really the Lord's possessions... And how am I to use it? Or did the possessions have me? And that was his case. They had him. Luke, uh, continuing uh, Luke fourteen eleven. everyone who humbles himself will be, uh, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. How important that is daily to stay humble before the Lord and seek him, uh, as I found every day. So how can I tell if my life is about me and I'm the center of my own universe? When the information in our life doesn't add up and we believe that we are the center of the universe, the information in the Bible doesn't even make sense. Here are some signals, almost like red lights on the dashboard, indicating we are the center of our universe. We start asking God why bad things happen to us. We get disappointed when, in God when things don't go the way we wanted them to. When we get angry with other people, our pride lifts up in our heart and we lash out at other people. When We think that God's job is to be the servant and we or I am to be the master. His job is to revolve around my destiny, my future, my dreams, and all the things I want to accomplish in this life. Is that the case? His purpose is not our happiness or not my happiness. We must have a basic understanding that he is God and we are not. Until we come to this conclusion, we will never fulfill God's purpose for our life because we'll be caught in a swirl of making God work for our benefit rather than the other way around. The Bible makes it clear that our role in his creation is not for him to serve us, but for us to serve him. In on of Romans uh, uh, chapter 9 verse 20, on the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? What is formed, say the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? And Isaiah 45, 9, Woe to the one who argues with his maker, one clay pot among many. Does the clay say to the one forming it, what are you making? Or does your work say, he has no hands? I'm the one that's to be the clay, he is the potter to shape me into what he wants me to be. The believer is being prepared by God for eternal life. We don't have to do the preparation work. God does it in and through us as we love him and find our rightful place in his universe and a supporting role of bringing glory and honor to God. Though I don't do this uh, perfectly, I really hope to finish my race well and in this way. From John eight twenty nine, This is Jesus saying this, but we are to emulate him. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone is I always do what pleases him. And for me, that starts, not just I made that one decision, but that's on a daily basis. Am I deciding this morning that I'm gonna start with him? Am I gonna read his word? Am I gonna do get out that journal? Many of you brought in some, uh, some journals here to write. As I'm reading his word, what is he telling me? Am I writing it down? What if I'm distracted by thinking of somebody? Could it be the very word that I've been reading is for that person? Should I write that down and be praying for them? So for, for me it's a it's not just a one-time event, it's a day-by-day walk. Am I willing to sit and listen? Or am I gonna miss and have the day come at me rather than the Lord guiding me through that day and leading me step by step? That's what I have to share. Maybe there's any we have time, I think, for questions. Well,
0: I have one more thing to share that um I, I left out of mind, but but it, it ties in right now easily. Um a few months ago, um uh, God showed me in the middle of the night um who Bob is. And um Psalm one says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water whose fruit um he's fruitful. Anyway, um that is my husband. He I in our in our thirty-seven years I can count on one hand. The days he's not spent the morning with the Lord, and that would be the key to our marriage. Thank
1: you. I think the thing is not—it's not a legalistic thing. It's because I, I need him. I need him for that day. I need him for that moment. And I know that he's going to meet me if I'm willing to take the time to sit and listen. Because he's always there reaching out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other questions? I think we still have a little bit of time, but uh, is there any questions we could take? If not Jimmy. What has been most helpful in all of your years of marriage and working through differences? What has been most helpful? Um,
0: he's very gracious. <laughs> yeah. I, I think one he's of the grace. things that's
1: been helpful to me is because I look back and see that what Jesus has done for me, and if there's a difference and there's a conflict, I've simply said, you know, is this worth it? Look what he's done for me. He's been patient with me. Can I not be patient, if, even if there's a difference in the other person, that I need to be patient because of what he's done for me. I can't just fabricate that. I have to see that, you know, God, this is what you've done for me. You've been very, very patient. I need to extend that same patience. And in some ways, I guess, I guess it depends on the person, but I can come across as being maybe not caring or lethargic. But in reality, I do care. I, it To me, I want to know what Jesus wants me to do. Having my way isn't first and primary and foremost. It's what, what does the Lord want to do and in and through me. So I'm willing to give to that, knowing that he'll, he'll meet my needs ultimately, even as my wife is a part of meeting those needs. And we had fun doing it. Anyway. But, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, would, I would say, from my perspective, and I know he, He's so gracious and mercy. Mm-hmm. His gift is mercy. That's why we're still married, because mm-hmm. I am a huge challenge. <laughs> I am huge.
1: Just, Really?
0: So, because you have a large family, did were there times where you guys struggled with, should we really have any more? Did you get, did, was that ever thing for you where you were like, um, well, we have five, should
1: we have another one? <laughs> well, you leave where, that one first. first.
0: I don't think there was really a conflict. I remember after we had our three girls, Bob one time said to me, he said, I, I think maybe we're done.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. And then that was the end of the conversation. It? <laughs> you know, I think,
1: I think for, for me, it was like, I knew that God had been faithful to me all this time, because I had experienced that. I've seen every step, step by step. It was, everybody's saying, how can you afford this kind of a thing? I mean, your mm. ministry and whatnot. And I thought, that, you know, God is faithful. And... If 30 days after you have one, it needs a, another one. Next one needs a playmate. You know, so be it. God will continue to provide, and He has every step of the way. He's been faithful, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily because of anything we've done. I've tried to listen to and pay attention. I think that um, if I don't spend that time with Him, then I miss what He has to tell me. I'm just trying to wander on my own. So, mm-hmm. does that help, Billy? Yeah, like the world so I also <clears throat> I think as you put the Lord first in everything, that includes mm-hmm. not just tithing your finances, but your times, talents, and treasure, you give it to him. He's gonna provide. He's always said he's faithful. Malachi 3.10 talks about that, that he'll open up the storehouse, open up the windows of heaven and pour down such a blessing that you can't contain it. Mm-hmm. It may not always be in the same way to every person. Um, I will say that with uh, with eight children, we probably have a better chance that one of them is gonna like us and take care of us at the end than if you had one person. <laughs> So
0: oh, well. maybe we can cut our odds down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're thankful for all of them. And um we did not plan any of them except our very last one. And 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 after we decided we would just let God do what he wanted, we never had any more children.
1: Yeah. It wasn't because of us, it was in spite of us.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Anything else?